Welcome to the Conversations That Matter podcast. My name is John Harris. I've had a backlog of videos and presentations people have wanted me to review. And because of the SBC and all sorts of other things, I've said, no, can't do it right now. Um, and I, I don't always get to review everything either that people send me. But there, there have been a few things that multiple people have asked me, could you talk about this? And this is one of them. Justin Gaboni uh, is one of the founders, co-founder of the AND campaign, along with Michael Ware. And I've talked about the AND campaign before, but this particular video is about, um, it says the lies that serve us Christians in critical race theory. So he's talking about critical race theory. And this is from the Gospel Coalition, TGC Talks. So the Gospel Coalition uh, is the one that is featuring this. And so I thought this will be a great opportunity to together go through it. I haven't listened to it uh, yet, but um, because I know some of you are in situations where you're at conferences or you're hearing a sermon, and you know sometimes you're wondering, okay, what's getting by me and what's not? What what should I focus on? What should I listen for? I thought this would be a really good exercise in that of, okay, what, what when am I going to pause it? What, what kinds of things am I going to... Um, uh, how, how would I approach this? Uh, how, if there are problems in this talk, which I'm pretty certain there will be, uh, what are they and how do I identify them? That's the purpose of this. So uh, let's, let's start it. Gospel Coalition, uh, Justin Gaboni, The Lies That Serve Us, Christians and Critical Race Theory. We all hate the lies that falsely accuse us or misrepresent our intentions. We're rightfully indignant when others bear false witness at our expense, or at the expense of those who we deem worthy of our compassion. But what about the lies that serve our purposes? What about the false narratives that absolve us, the cultural myths that glorify us, and the mischaracterizations that obstruct our opposition? My question is, what do we do with the lies that are useful? The lies that artificially boost what we consider to be a good cause. Lies can come in many, many different forms. Intellectual dishonesty, pretext, conflation, overly broad labels, straw man arguments, etc. And we all hope right now that what he's going to say is that's what critical race theory does. <laughs> it forwards this political operation agenda and it's based on a false myth about systemic racism in America today. I don't think that's what he's going to do, but we're all hoping for it, right? When he <laughs> given this introduction. And unfortunately, the American church's ongoing debate about racial justice is full of all variety of lies. Especially the lies that serve those who would rather not talk about the subject at all. Let's be honest. We're all expected to lie to protect certain cultural narratives. Okay, so I'm going to stop it right here. One of the things I want to want you to notice is how serious this accusation is. I think sometimes because of the way it's delivered or we're used to hearing it, we miss how serious this is. He's saying that the American church, and he didn't really qualify it much, just the American church is engaged in a lie. That's a serious accusation to make. So I just want you to hear that as we go forward, because if, if that's really happening, if that's really, you know, a serious thing like that is taking place, we ought to be, we, we, we need to know what this is. We ought to be engaging it, right? So this is something that pulls you in wanting to listen. What's the lie? 
refusing to promote the myths that glorify our ethnic or ideological identity is considered disloyal. So is he talking about critical race theory <laughs> again? What do we do? We pretend. Some conservatives pretend that Christians lived in a moral golden age before the liberals took over. Some progressives pretend that whiteness is responsible for almost all sins and pathologies, and those things might be flattering, but they're lies. There was no golden age of morality in a country that enslaved people and constantly used color as a reason to deny human dignity. And every culture has plenty of sins and pathologies of its own making. Okay, so... Um... He's so I think I know what he's where he's going with this. This is sounds to me like this is the uh, trying to go for middle ground moderation. Um, you know, hey, these guys over here are extreme. These guys over here are extreme. I'm the one that's got kind of the balance, uh, the third way type of thinking. Um, and the, notice kind of the way he's setting it up. So he, he um, the category he initially takes from conservatives is mythology. Now, every culture does have, he's right about this. Every, every culture, um, I think he might've said ethnicity, but cultures have, ethnic, have, um, have uh, uh, legends, um, myths, if, if you will. Uh, sometimes, and, and that's not necessarily, I mean, you can use the word myth as if something's not true, um, which is why it's not always the most helpful word to use. Sometimes I like to use the word legend but there, there, there is a positive use of the word myth where it's just these are social, these are stories that help social bonds form because um, they're, everyone has them, knows about them. They become the lingua franca. Sometimes they teach moral lessons. They, uh, people uh, will form identity uh, based on them, uh, gain inspiration from them. You know, George Washington chopping down the cherry tree, Pecos Bill, you know, uh, and riding the whirlwind. Um, Abraham Lincoln is a huge symbol right now, or was up until, I, I don't know what's going on with Lincoln exactly. He's kind of at the crossroads, but uh, a big symbol of national unity, you know, never uh, telling a lie. Th these are kinds of things that promote national unity. America is a young country, so we don't have as much as maybe um, another country that has recorded uh, their history for thousands of years. And uh, still celebrates things that happened thousands of years ago. And we do with Christmas, right? But it's um, it's not uniquely American. Anyway, uh, what I wanted to say is that you can tell that Justin Gaboni, look at the categories he's using. So on, on the right, if you will, conservative side, he points to legend, a legend of a golden age, right? So that there's um, that there was something better. There was something valuable that we've lost, that we need to kind of get back to, right? This is the make America great again stuff, kind of. On the progressive side, he points to uh, their metaphysic, their ideological metaphysic, where everything is connected to white supremacy in some way. So these are two different things because um, on, he's not, so the metaphysic, he, he's not like comparing apples with apples necessarily here. So he's trying to position himself in the middle, but he's not taking, let's say the, the ethics, we'll say. The, he's not taking like the ethics of the right and the ethics of the left and comparing them. He's trying to, and, and I would, I would, for lack of a better term, I wish I had a better term, but it's almost like a cheap shot to take against the right in a way. To try to say, well, their problem is they're looking for this golden age. 
And that's such that's such a huge problem. It's just what it, I mean, is it destroying people's lives? Is it shutting down business? What, what's that doing? As opposed to the progressive left, the social justice side, um, making decisions to cancel people in businesses and break things based on the idea that everyone's a white supremacist, right? <laughs> or so many things are that really aren't. But because they use critical race theory to make those logical leaps, they somehow recruit people into white supremacy who aren't. So um, I, I would suggest his scale is kind of broken from the beginning. It's just not quite a fair comparison. Uh, and I think it's that way on purpose. And, and oftentimes I, I hear Tim Keller doing this. I hear a lot of uh, guys um, who preach social justice in Christianity do this. They try to take something that they can criticize. They're looking for things they can criticize on the right. And they often will take something that's just so, you know, like minor in, in compared to uh, what they criticize on the left, right? So take something like abortion on the left, right? And then on the right, well, you know, they're, um, they, they want to stop illegal migration. Now, I believe we should, or they, they, they believe in border security, et cetera, and it's white nationalism, however they want to phrase that. It's, it's not really a fair comparison. Uh, and I, I, would, I, I would quibble, and I have quibbled in many videos with that interpretation of, of that position. But even if, let's say, everything they're saying is legitimate, let's say everything Tim Keller and Russell Moore say about immigration is legitimate, you still have abortion over here, right? So it's, it's the scale is, it, it's, it's, the, um, it's the mountain and the molehill. And I see that dynamic uh, playing out with Justin Gaboni right now a little bit. He wants to take something that's kind of a legend, something that's really, it's not affecting people's lives. Now, maybe he thinks it is, but it's not, not like critical race theory is. And he wants to make that out to be kind of like, that. that's on the same plane. Now, what that does is it takes the critical race theory stuff and it, it basically brings it down. It flattens everything so that, yeah, you know, the right has problems, the left has problems, and they're right here. They're both kind of flat. But, you know, we need to be transcend them or be in the middle or something like that. So I know I'm only two minutes in. I should probably stop talking. Um, but uh, but I will say this, too. I probably should address what he actually said, you know, that the right uh, has this idea that there's this golden age. Um, I don't I don't know of anyone. And look, I know some people who are really rah, rah, rah America. I don't know that anyone thinks that there's a quote. It, they would agree with that statement that they believe that there's a golden age. I think, um, and, and I know I certainly wouldn't phrase it that way. I wouldn't say there was a golden age. Uh, I, I think um, when we look at some of the problems we have today, uh, abortion being one of them, but just uh, the, the assumptions that come with postmodernism and Marxism, and then we look back even 30 years, we can see that it is so much better. And, 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 and I want to uh, let you in, sort of bring you into something here just for a moment. Uh, trust me, we will watch the end of the video, but I, I, I want to let you know this. Conservatives tend, real conservatives, I should say, paleo-conservatives, the conservatives of you know even 15 years ago and before, 20 years ago and before, they tend to evaluate things based on um, condition. And progressives tend to evaluate things based on status. You're going to see this. And once you hear this, you're going to start seeing it everywhere. Uh, the immigration debate, you're going to see that. Condition, status. Uh, the left likes everything to be everything to be equal, right? This sort of theoretical status. Everyone must be equal. Uh, voting right, laws, you'll see the same things. Um, they, they, it's, it's, it's like almost everything. 
the the left wants everyone to be equal in this theoretical way, even if they're equally miserable. Well, at least they're equal, right? And uh, conservatives tend to look at status. They tend to look at things and say, okay, this might not be the ideal situation, but look, we need a border. <laughs> like the situation is going to be worse. The condition is going to be worse if we allow this to continue or to happen. So they're making laws and evaluating things based on condition. Uh, the left evaluates things based on status. And that's one of the reasons I think when you even go back in history and um, conservatives will look at, uh, I actually just did a section on this in my book that I'm writing. The conservatives will look at, okay, what was the socioeconomic position of um, the black people, uh, the fidelity of black families, uh, the morality, incarcerations, all the, they'll look at all this, this, these metrics and they'll, they'll say, okay, when were they doing better? When were they doing worse? When were they improving? When were they going downhill? Is that connected to policies? They, they try to evaluate. Thomas Sowell does this all the time, right? Thomas Sowell, Walter Williams. And, and that's what they're looking at. They're looking at condition. The left says, wait, hold on. You're, you're comparing like a time before integration and saying, well, at least the family was more intact. You know, that's so horrible because everyone needs to be equal. And conservatives generally say, well, yeah, no, we're not for segregation, but we're just pointing out that there's actually more significant things at play that affected the condition, which is the more important metric in our minds, uh, of black families. And so um, they have a totally different ways of evaluating things. So oftentimes when the right looks back, when conservatives look back, they're looking at condition. What was America like? What, was the, what were the families in America like? Um, how were they doing? Uh, were they together? What, were, were babies being killed everywhere? What was the moral fabric of the country like? What, what was playing on the radio stations? What was So they're looking at all these kinds of things. And they can still critique it and say, yeah, because every time is going to have problems. Yeah, you know, hey, look, we don't agree with this with segregation. That wasn't, that wasn't good. Um, and and, and they, can, they can look at a number of different things and say, we don't agree with that. We don't agree with that. We don't agree with that. But they're looking at a condition not a status. So this is one of the things I think Justin Gaboni is probably missing because um, he's probably approaching this with a more status-minded, progressive-minded uh, assumption. But ultimately, what I think he's doing is he's uh, he's taking a real problem over here and then taking something that's really not affecting a whole lot of people's lives and he's equalizing them to make the right and the left somehow equally on a moral plane. And they're just not. Which doesn't deny the fact that majority culture is responsible for a lot of injustice and dysfunction. We should be what's majority culture, by the way, one of the things to ask progressives is to define that. What do you mean by that? Because usually they just boil it down to it's white power. Basically, that's majority culture. But as many of you know, if you travel the country, I'm I'm uh, I'm about to go to my 49th state and I'm, I'm I know I'm young, but I've I, this is my goal. I'm, I, I want to get to all 50 of them. OK. Um, and, and as far as cross cultural experiences, it's just been what Mexico, Canada and, and Turkey. I've been to Turkey. Um, but as far as this country is concerned, you go to different places, go to Minnesota, go to California, go to Mississippi, go to Massachusetts, right? Go to these different places. And is there a white power majority culture thing going on? It's, um, it's, it's, it's more nuanced. It's more complex uh, than that. It is, uh, it, it, it is just so different depending on where you go. And Dutch people that immigrated here are different than 
English people who immigrated here are different than people. In, let's just face it. Everyone's different than people in California. I can say that I was born in California. Um, anyway, all that to say, there's all kinds of different, I, I just think it's an oversimplification to just say that. Uh, but I, I would, I never heard really that question asked like, Hey, define that for me. What do you mean majority culture? And why in the world are you putting everyone in this, in this kind of bag? You know, when the Irish came here, they faced all kinds of barriers. When the Italians came here, they faced all kinds of barriers. Uh, Jewish people faced barriers. Um, and I can give you examples of those things. Um, and, and, and normally in a lot of the demographic studies, Jewish people are, are, uh, they are contained in, you know, if you're looking at like socioeconomic income, et cetera, it will be white people. It would include Jewish people. So like, are all these different quote unquote white people groups, you know, are they, are they all equal? Cause it makes it sound like they're all like together to oppress or something like that. All right, let's keep going. Be able to acknowledge the brokenness in all of us without resorting to false equivalencies. He just did what I would consider to be a false equivalency. Or suggesting that some people are responsible for their own oppression. The Bible shows us that promoting... Now, notice how he phrased it, oppression. Some people are responsible for their own oppression. Um, some people are responsible for... There's, there's various reasons. I mean, you see whole nations being oppressed. And they're responsible for it because <laughs> nation of Israel, God's chosen people, right? Uh, they were responsible for some of like the captivity uh, because they did not follow the covenant. Um, he uses the word oppression, though, here on purpose. If there's a disparity between certain people groups, right? There is a disparity um, actually right now between quote unquote white people and Asian people. Does that mean I'm oppressed because of that? There's a huge disparities on many different levels for people in Appalachia who are predominantly white than the rest of the country. Does that mean uh, that it's it's all the result of oppression. Now I can point you to things that I can point you to a number of things actually that I could weave a whole narrative of oppression. But um, number one, it's not helpful. Number two, um, it um, there there are some legitimate personal responsibility things and lifestyle things and cultural things that contribute to these this state of affairs. People from a lot of Asian countries tend to study really hard. They tend to have higher levels of education. They tend to get better jobs financially. That's not because they're oppressing me. And so um, there's, maybe it, there's, it's complicated. Maybe there's a number of factors. But to choose the word oppression is very, that's, that's, a, a, that's a careful choice that he made here. Uh, why don't you just say in poverty, disparity? Um, I don't know. But well, let's see what he's going to say. The lies that serve our purposes is nothing new. As is often the case, those uh, with position and privilege rarely receive the repro reproach of those of lesser station with humility and grace. That's because power rooted in this world is usually very insecure and obsessed with self-preservation. I actually agree with a lot of that. I think that's true. But I, I see that as being characteristic of academia, entertainment industry, the news industry, uh, major media, um, political, you know, the, it, is, it is an industry, the political industry. I see that as the elites um, that are mostly pushing the social justice agenda that this would characterize. By the time we get to Matthew 26, the religious leaders have resolved to kill Jesus to rid themselves of this nuisance that was exposing their lies and undermining their authority. 
And verse 59 tells us that they're now looking for false evidence to prove that Jesus had been blaspheming. They would eventually find witnesses to corroborate the allegation that he planned to destroy the temple. Now, they didn't make this claim up out of nowhere, but they did twist his words and take them out of context. Small details, I guess, for such a serious crime. You see, the lies were convenient, and they served their purposes. They were presented perhaps in such a way that they could be rationalized by those claiming to still uphold the Ninth Commandment. Again, we see similar tactics in the debate about race in the church. I'm going to stop it here. Realize what he's saying, too, again. This is is one of the reasons you know social justice is a different religion. It's one of the reasons you know um, that that this chasm is extremely wide. This isn't just some in-house, like, oh, they just disagree a little bit about ethics here or uh, a little bit on politics, but they're united. He's accusing those who would use national mythologies for their own power, etc., as being Pharisees. That they're doing the same thing that the Pharisees did. In, In the same level of deception the Pharisees used against Jesus is what they're doing. So this is kind of like a big... Who, who, whichever group he's accusing this of, uh, this is this is kind of big, and I think he's still trying to strike that balance. I think he's saying maybe there's extremes on both sides who do this. I'm guessing. Um, if you know anything about the end campaign, you know it is very far left. You know Justin Gamboni is pretty far left, but but let's let's just keep seeing what he says. See if he kind of like starts defining who he's talking about here with more definition than just because think about it. Someone who's conservative right? Who just looks at the past. The only thing he's really given us is that, well, they think there was a golden age, right? Okay. You think there's a golden age that is leading to you're a Pharisee. Like just listen to these sort of jumps that he's making here. Uh, pretty serious. Christians have resolved to maintain the position that all demands for racial justice are overblown and they're willing to employ all manner of useful lies Okay, so he's talking about conservatives. This isn't, he's not talking about the left, guys. He's talking about conservatives right now. To bolster that argument. One way we do this is by romanticizing American history. Acting like virulent racism was just a small blip in an otherwise pristine historical record. Or pretending the explicit racism in our laws existed so long ago that it couldn't possibly still linger in our systems and institutions. Well, that's absurd. Actually, what he's saying is kind of absurd. So, yeah, you can locate actual laws that divided people by race um, and customs. When, once those things have been done away with, once those things are off the books... Once those things have been voted down by representatives of the people, by majorities, by, um, by, by our representatives, pe- people have basically spoken and said, we don't agree with this. Uh, to keep saying, well, you know, it's, um, this is still, and, and, and don't miss this, this is still the fundamental thing that America is about because that's what the other side is saying. He's kind of minimizing the target by saying, well, you'd be crazy not to say that, you know, there's still some lingering effects of these things. Uh, lingering effects uh, in the sense that there are people, individuals who have racially 
uh, insensitive ideas and um, well, they they have they show partiality. Well, that that's inescapable. That's humanity. You're always going to have that. Um, but in this, he's talking about systems and structures. So like the criminal justice system, for instance, to say that, well, this is just it's it's racist because of those laws that have been rejected by people that are off the books. You, you're going to have to show you're going to have to prove you're going to have to. And it's not showing a disparity doesn't do it. You're going to have to you're, it's going to it's a it's a big uphill battle you have to climb in order to actually show that the onus is on them to, to show this, but they want to turn it around and make the onus the, sort of the burden of proof on people like myself to say for me to be on the defensive so that I can be like, well, I guess that's possible. And if I concede that it's possible that there might be racism in a structure, quote unquote, like, uh, or a, an institution, then they, they end up going the extra mile and saying, well, that's that then there is racism. So it's an assumption they have that there is racism, that is systemic, that it is affecting this, but they can't really point to it. They can't show you. The examples are like, you know, police shootings that are at, at, at the very best for them. They're examples of individual officers or maybe a, uh, a, you know, a certain department here or there that have racial insensitivities. More often than not, it's not that, though. They, you can't even find where the racial element is. It's just they insert it. They assume it. It's a, an assumption that's being made. And Justin Gaboni is doing that again here, but it's kind of like it's making you feel crazy because he's saying, well, it's absurd. If you don't if you don't see it, if you don't think that there's racism in systems, then you're the one that's absurd. You're the crazy one. And I, I'd like to turn it around. No, no, I'm not. You show me. Show me where it is. If you can show me, then I'll stand against it with you. If someone is being treated wrong because of the color of their skin or there's there's violence against them or there's uh, disparaging things being said a, a, about them, you know, hey, look, we'll let, let's you and me uh, right now. We'll go and take care of it. Uh, but that's not that, that's not what's going on. So. But I remind you that Jim Crow and mass incarceration and redlining and black veterans exclu exclusion from the GI Bill all happen within the lifetime of some of the people watching now. So here's so this is uh, the same tactic Phil Vischer uses. Uh, this is this is really all Michelle Alexander, the new Jim Crow. That's what this is, which I read a few years ago, a year ago. And um, and so he the, the um, rhetorical uh the reason that it's rhetorically um, powerful is because they can just like name a bunch of things. So he just named like four things and be like, look, all this stuff happened and it happened within the lifetime of some people who are still alive. Now, my grandfather was born in 1922. He's still alive. Uh, he remembers he actually down the street from him uh, was a, a guy who he was friends with, who was a, a former slave, uh, literally a former slave that remembered getting captured in Africa and told my grandfather the story. My grandfather's still alive. So, uh, I mean, you could even say that, hey, there's even slaves who were alive in the lifetime of some people that are still alive today. And, uh, and, and that would be true. That would be a true statement. Um, but uh, the, the real, it, it's shifting the question from, is it today affecting things in your here and now daily life? Is it, uh, is it the cause of these disparities Right. Like he just mentioned mass incarceration. So he's already going to the disparities here. Are these things the cause of the disparities or is it something else? Is it because of uh, redlining that you have these disparities or is it something else? Now, interestingly, um, I'm, I'm going to do another video about this soon. I did, though, if you look at the one I did of Phil Vischer's Race in America, I showed you how 
during this period of time, I showed you black home ownership. I showed you a lot of different economic statistics just to, to prove that, look, um, the, the mass incarceration, uh, the um, gap in home ownership, these kinds of things, these aren't like the, the, these aren't um, things that were like so much worse back when all of the things that Justin Gamoni just mentioned were happening. In fact, a lot of these things have gotten worse since then. In other words, since the civil rights bill uh, bills, since uh, the great society, um, things have gotten worse in many of these respects. Many of these disparities have grown is what I'm trying to say. Why is that? Why have, have many of these disparities gotten worse? And I think that, that it's because there's actually a lot of other factors going on. And maybe the ones that Justin Gamboni pointing to aren't the significant ones. Maybe there's something culturally going on. Maybe there's something about fatherlessness um, and government acting, stepping in and acting, incentivizing out of wedlock births, acting like the father, the provider. Uh, maybe there's something about that that is contributing to this. Maybe there's something, the cultural thing. Maybe, um, and you, I mean, you can look at some of the like, you know, R&B music and stuff, and you can see this trajectory in a way. It's not like the old blues. Uh, you can, anyway, not to get off on that, because I'm going to spend a lot more time on that in a future video, but uh, there's an assumption behind all this. Justin Gaboni is selling you something. He's not identifying his assumptions, though. So you just, many people who hear this, they just buy it. Oh, yeah. Well, that makes sense. That I'm going to make a connection between the disparity in uh, mass incarceration and redlining. Okay. That's, they're all connected somehow. Well, maybe not, maybe there isn't that direct connection. The impacts of those things don't disappear just because the thought of them. Question, when do they disappear? Is there any time they disappear? Uh, Jewish people, uh, even the ones who immigrated from Germany after the Holocaust and Poland, etc. Um, think about you know, Armenians who came over, right? Fleeing uh, genocide in Armenia, uh, in, in Turkey. Uh, think about um, the, uh, you know, Chinese people who came over, uh, worked on the railroad, uh, faced lots of barriers, believe me. Uh, Japanese people, I mean, they were put in internment camps, so many of them, during World War II. There's a lot of different things I could point to, and I could show you that in many of these different groups, uh, they're, like I just mentioned, Asians have um, higher uh, incomes uh, and, and uh, higher wealth in general. Uh, how, did they, how did they close the gap? How did they, within a very short period of time, uh, become as successful as they are? Jewish people, uh, they make religious Jews, uh, or, or, or I guess it's Orthodox Jews. I'm trying to remember the study that I was looking at last week make four and a half times in family income as the general population on average. Why is that? Why could a people that have experienced so much hardship and suffering and all these things that are supposed to be haunting them still, how come in such a short period of time they were able to overcome that? It's a legitimate question, guys. And Justin Gamboni's, where is he going with this? Does he acknowledge that those people, uh, that their experiences have been different? And why have they been? These are, these are logical questions that need to be answered, but they're not. They're not being asked. It's something we don't like. Why is it that some Christians will actually become irate when you bring up verifiable facts about the history of race in America? Oh. 
I believe that it's because their pride can't process the truth. Or maybe it's because those things are being used against others as a wedge. <laughs> That's why a lot of people that I've seen get angry about it get angry about it. Why are you bringing up slavery? I didn't own slaves. I'll speak for myself. Uh, I don't, you know, my line, my direct line going back, there's, there's no slave owners. Uh, why is it that you bring this up against me? And even if there were, that's not me. What, am I responsible for this? Do I, is there something that I have to do? That, so it's the assumption behind why they're being brought up. It's not like people are just all of a sudden historical nerds walking around uh, just citing facts about history, any fact about history. No, there's activists citing particular facts that they can use as a wedge to serve their political purpose. That's why people are upset. Nothing, it's, it, it's not necessarily to do with pride. The truth is, America has some exceptional achievements and some exceptional transgressions. It reminds me of when the religious leaders just couldn't handle hearing Peter reminding, reminding them about what they did to Jesus. They wanted to be lied to. When it serves us, we tell lies through prete pretext meaning we justify our actions by claiming good motives while concealing our real intentions. It's just, again, it's like the religious leaders claiming to be protecting the temple when they really just wanted to crucify Christ. What he's doing now is he's just questioning people's motives. That's all this is. And um, it's, I don't know. It's, it doesn't come across as particularly interesting because we've heard this kind of thing so many times probably. But it's just the reason that you do this is because you're a Pharisee. That's, that's the reason you do it. And there are other possibilities that I've just mentioned that uh, don't include being a Pharisee. That tactic has, tactic has been used throughout history to deny justice. As you know, Reconstruction was a short period after the Civil War when our government attempted to reset a nation that had undergone a most necessary fracture. I would quibble with reset, but... Booker T. Washington called it a time of storms and stress. But he also noted that it gave rise to brilliant political leaders in the newly enfranchised race. At the height of Reconstruction, around 2,000 African Americans held elected office, including in the United States Senate. Again, this was only a few years after emancipation. But these achievements would be short-lived because lies would prevail. Unreconstructed Confederates would begin to massacre black communities to prevent them from enjoying full citizenship. This is way, 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 way oversimplified. Um, let me, there's actually a book. Oh, goodness. Let me see. Okay, hold on. Hold on one second. Okay, so I found the books. Uh, if you are someone who likes to read a lot, I would recommend this. This is called The Story of Reconstruction by Robert Self Henry. It's kind of thick. Um, if you really want to know Reconstruction, I'd read that book. The other one is, uh, if you don't have a lot of time, Southern Reconstruction by Philip Lee. It's kind of a newer uh, book, but it's, it does a good job. Uh, if you want to know more about Jim Crow segregation, uh, I would read The Strange Career of Jim Crow by C. Van Woodward. And these are all great books that give you, I think, a really good insight into the situation, the why there were poisoned race relations, how that developed, 
And what Justin Gaboni is telling you is way oversimplified. And um, I've talked about it a little bit before. If you watch the video I did with um, on Phil Vischer's Race in America, I, I talked about it. I will probably talk about it again more in the future. Um, reconstruction studies are poisoned, worse than Civil War studies at this point. Uh, only attributing everything, all the, the evils and maladies and the horrible things that happened in this country are just... The South gets to Southern white people get to bury that uh, bear that whole burden. Uh, they're not talking about uh, carpetbaggers or um, you know what the Freedmen's Bureau did or what the Union League did uh, or how in some ways there's almost like a parallel to the way the Democrats treat Black people today and the way the Republican Party did at that time. In I'm not saying they're exactly parallel, but there's similarities in using people the way that the parties did. Um, there's um, Anyway, there's, there's a lot more that could be said, but uh, because we don't have a lot of time, I'm not going to go over everything. Let, I'll just suffice it to, to say, here's some resources if you hear that and you want to be educated on it more. Uh, let's, let's keep going here uh, so we can get through this. The southern states would paint even the federal government's most lackluster efforts to restore order as violations of states' rights. And federal troops would eventually withdraw almost completely what well it kind of was you're passing amendments to the constitution and you don't even have all the states that supposedly under lincoln's theory never left represented there so there, I mean, there's even some thought that some of the, those amendments aren't even legitimate because they didn't do it the legal way that it should have been done and they made the radical republicans made as a barrier to basically become part of the union again even though they never left according to lincoln anyway you have to accept uh Accept some of these amendments, etc. Um, so, yeah, there, there's been a lot of, and it's not just the South, by the way. If you look, especially before the Civil War, there was a lot of challenges, states' rights type challenges, uh, and even talk of secession and that kind of stuff from uh, the North, states in the North, and um, and today you even see it on the West Coast, but which is interesting. But uh, Justin Gaboni is everything is just one one shade and it seems like in this guy's mind it, it, it seems like it's ideological thinking and I've talked about that in the last few podcasts what an ingeniously evil ploy federal intervention to pre to prevent slaughter was said to actually be an unlawful occupation an un-American violation of federalism confederates would re <laughs> Yes, the federal troops who just killed um, all kinds of civilians, the ones in Sherman's army especially, uh, and, and, and all kinds of uh, slaves and black people. In fact, a million of them dying or being diseased after the war. Th those are the people that are coming down to protect. Yeah, this is not, this is cartoon history you're getting right here. And it's sad to me because it, it doesn't do, um, it, it, not only does it oversimplify the narrative, but it attributes uh, the problems. Uh, if you get the wrong problem, you're going to get the wrong solution in many cases. If you if you identify the wrong problem and say, well, the reason hey, the reason these people are not doing so well and there's disparities is because they they, they were put down Year, years ago. They were put down, and that's what's happening. You're you're going to think, well, that's that's clearly the problem, and it, it's it's to goad you into thinking that's still the problem. And it's just not. Uh, that's, you know, it, could it be a fraction here or there? I mean, I'm willing to talk to someone about it. But when, when we actually look at actual numbers, 
and we try to find actual causes, we don't come up with this narrative. And in this narrative, from a historical standpoint, this narrative is, is uh, it's, it would actually reveal lies and hatred against quote unquote white people. That's what I'm getting from this. Reclaim their land and reclaim their cause. And black representation was wiped out for decades because the union chose a fraudulent unity over true justice. Did you know, I, I just uh, was reading about this recently, uh, black people broke in large numbers to vote for Woodrow Wilson. I thought that was interesting. I thought Woodrow Wilson. Uh, and, you know, Frank, FDR, you usually think FDR, you know. Uh, Woodrow Wilson, though, was one of, uh, was a... Um, a Democrat, because you, you know, why are why are a lot of black people primarily voting Democrat in the United States? They used to vote Republican, right? And Woodrow Wilson was one of those candidates that a lot of black people started breaking for to vote for Wilson, who is like the quintessential now white supremacist president, right? He's been canceled from a number of places, and, and he did actually have some progressive white supremacist views. But maybe there's other concerns. Maybe there's economic concerns. Maybe maybe there's other things going on that would cause that. Um, so so I mean, there was never a point. Uh, where uh, maybe other than right during and after the Civil War, right after when um, black people uh, could not vote, there were there was restrictions. There were it's very true that there was racism going on that was preventing them in certain areas. But it really did depend on your area. And there was never really a time when none of no one can vote just because you're black. There wasn't like a law that's like, well, if you're black, you can't vote. Uh, there's more creative ways to do that. But black people did vote. And uh, ironically, when all this stuff was at its height, uh, a lot of them voted for Woodrow Wilson, a um, progressive Democrat at that time. So uh, not a Republican. That's, it, it's, I don't know. I'm getting carried away a little here on my own interest. But uh, oversimplifying again from Justin Gamboni. I'm going to try to just keep my mouth shut and let him get through this narrative because I, I don't want to stop it every two seconds. Just as many are urging the church to do Today, Reconstruction's end is an example of pretextual lies. It's also an example of reconciliation without a full reckoning. Reconciliation without a repentant spirit just doesn't work. Today, many are using the threat of Marxism as pretext to avoid reckoning with the church's race problem. They're conflating biblically sound pleas for justice with clear distortions. No, we're not. Now, to be clear, Marxism does present a real threat to truth and moral order. But Marxism and critical theories aren't wrong. How? This is, this is the, the one question that I think decimates the left, the social justice side who tries to be Christian. How? Because they, they have an obligation to say Marxism is wrong. Tell me why. And if the thing that they say is, well, it's atheistic, materialistic, and if it's not the ethics of Marxism, then that then you identify right there. That's the issue. And that's usually what happens. I'm not a Marxist. Well, I'm not an atheist. I'm not a Marxist. I'm not a materialist. Well, I'm not a Marxist. I disagree with this or that. But it's is it the ethics of Marxism? Because if it's not the ethics of Marxism, you have the same goals as the Marxists. If you agree with them on the ethics, you're you're trying to get to the same kind of place. Basically, you just don't agree with their foundation. So practically speaking, you're you're in favor of the same stuff for critiquing abuses of power and means of exploitation the bible does the same They're, they are however perilous and unbiblical where they often tell lies to strengthen their arguments 
with according to the law of God. The Bible is against abuses of power because it's in a violation of God's law. That's why. So anyone who's critiqued critical race theory or Marxism, um, what was it? Jonathan Lehman had said a while ago, like, oh, you know, intersectionality and Christianity, they're co-belligerents, kind of like, I think he said like France and America or two allied countries, you know, against the Nazis, uh, something like that. And my question was like, well, who's the Nazis then? Because the target of the critical race theorists, they say it's white supremacy, etc. Now they're saying Christian nationalism, a lot of them. But it is. Uh, it's Western civilization. It's Christian civilization that they're after, that they want to take out. So is the, we're being co-belligerents with them. So um, that's the key thing. Where does the law of God fit into this? They essentialize our identities and spurn truth to flatten reality. The reality is one's race, class, or gender can often tell us something about their experiences, but it tells us nothing about their character or competence. Suggesting otherwise might make for a cleaner and easier argument, but it's a lie. There are men who are honest. There are women who are honest. There are men who are dishonest. There are women who are dishonest. There are uh, black leaders who uh, represent their people with integrity and white leaders who represent their community with integrity. And there are folks on both ends that only represent their own ambition. Are there really white leaders who represent their communities with integrity? I, I would be curious what the, who the names of those people are. Because generally, quote unquote, white people want to represent Americans or their local area or something like that. They would never say, I'm representing the white community. You, you, I just think that's interesting I, who, who does justin gaboni think wouldn't they be white nationalists or something and that takes nothing away from the importance of representation but it is our reality in a broken world the point is our identities often tell us less than some critical theorists would have us believe still not every mention of racial justice is marxist or a promotion of critical race theory can, can you see how vague he's getting? Now, let's see if he gets specific, because there's not much you can sink your teeth into this. And this is one of the problems uh, in Christianity, especially uh, people who push this, is they, they're so vague, and it sounds kind of good, and you want to agree with it because uh, you don't want to be an extremist. And uh, But where's what is he actually saying? I, I don't. There's, it's kind of fluffy. I don't even, I don't know who he's talking about, what he's talking about. To conflate every demand for racial justice with the worst aspects of critical race theory is deceitful. To label everyone who's concerned with social justice as a Marxist is intellectually dishonest. Yeah, except that social justice, the term itself, uh, and I'm not talking about the Catholic, the Catholic, there's a Catholic kind of teaching that goes back that's, it, it was not popular, it was not, I know the Heritage Foundation wants to reclaim it, it's not a historically viable, I mean, you can try, but it's not going to happen. Um, where we get social justice is from Americans who are Fabian socialists, like Walter Rauschenbusch. That's where we get the term social justice uh, today. It's socialism by a different name. That's all it is. Uh, and there's a, I write about it in the book that I'm writing now. It's in the first chapter. But uh, this is... Uh, He's trying to make a separation from Marxism, uh, from um, 
social justice. And I mean, you sort of can, um, I guess, today's social justice is so thoroughly um, influenced by Marxism. I don't know that you can do that. But if someone wanted to say, well, I believe in social justice, but not Marxism, and they wanted to trace it back to like Fabian socialism, which isn't, they might say that they're not really Marxist. I guess you can sort of try to do all sorts of gymnastics, but it's just not helpful. It's not, it doesn't really communicate much. Um, and, it, and at the end of the day, it's like, so what? You believe pretty much the same things Marx believes. So, you know, on, on many key fundamental issues. So it's a lie. It's a lie that's useful because it evades the true merits of the best arguments by centering the worst arguments. Have you noticed we're over 10 minutes into this and uh, he started out, I thought he was going to go that middle direction, you know, hey, there's there's these really extreme uh, critical race type theory types. There's these really extremist Christian nationalist types. And now we are almost 10 minutes in and he's just railing against the conservatives. That's what this is. To center critical race theory in a conversation about race when black Christians have been fighting and weighing in on the subject for hundreds of years before critical race theory was even a thing is wickedly insincere. All right. Okay. So this is what we'll do then. I got it here. Right? Maybe Justin Caboni will go for this. We um we <laughs> will say that uh anything associated with okay, I don't we'll we'll say derivatives of Marxism, uh any any derivatives stemming from Rousseau or Marx or who else do we want to put in there? Liberation theology. We'll put that in there, right? But that would be included. That's a Marxist derivative. So we, we don't have to say that. We'll say Marx, Rousseau, uh, and um, transcendentalists and Unitarians of the, uh, the, the 19th century. Uh, because they're all heretics, right? And they're all, well, they're all false teachers, heretics, or uh, just uh, rank anti-Christians. Let's, let's say that any of the ideas stemming from them, uh, we disqualify. And we say because they conflict with the Bible. And let's just like break everything down into sort of this. Let's say that um, the idea that we can have that, that all these various hierarchies and institutions are preventing social equality from happening. And that social equality uh, is an egalitarian flatlining of everyone uh, so that they have the same status. Um, and that we need a central authority to maintain that status and to get rid of these mediating institutions and hierarchies that are preventing it from taking place, that that would, whatever you want to call that, whatever label you want to put to that, that that is not Christianity, that that is against Christianity because of what Paul instructs about hierarchy in the New Testament, uh, because of the way that Christians are supposed to be reformational and not revolutionary, because of um, the skepticism uh, that we, uh, well, because a, um, uh, the, the state, the modern state, takes the place of God because uh, that the justice itself ends up being an egalitarian um, equality of outcome instead of equality before the law, which is what biblical justice is in a, so, in a civil setting. Um, let's just say that any of those ideas, any, any idea that would also say that you can delegitimize the views of quote unquote majority cultures or certain institutions because they don't have a certain level of oppression of experience with oppression uh, is also against uh, the Bible because it's actually um, it, it destroys the idea of objective truth. It's subjective. Uh, 
it, it lets man make these determinations. Um, let, let's just put all of that in a bag and say, look, whatever you want to call that, we, that's not Christianity. We, that's disqualified. Okay. Um, that would, sure, that predates critical race theory. <laughs> Goes back a long way. We could go right back to the French Revolution if you want. And, uh, and, and, and that's the issue. It's not the label. It's the ideas. I think sometimes um, social justice advocates would rather it be the label in a way because they can always push their ideas using different labels. They don't have to. They can say, well, I'm against critical race theory, but you all have white privilege and need to check your privilege. And they, they can do that kind of thing. So, all right, let's keep going. Don't simply argue against the disheveled postmodern academic who knows nothing about biblical justice. Argue against Christians like Frederick Douglass. Fannie Lou Han- I have <laughs> Hamer and-, and, and I should say with respect in, in some ways I but I but I, I do argue with some of the things that well, anyway let, let's let him keep talking Reverend William Augustus Jones who coupled orthodoxy and orthopraxy who stood ten toes down on scripture while living out their faith under the sword of oppression and if you listen to them close enough You'll realize that American racism has always done much of the work that you fear Marxism would do. It's undermined the family. It's undermined the church and turned it against itself. It's robbed people. I'm going to be honest. He brought up a name I haven't heard of, William Augustus Jones. And maybe I have and I just forgot. But uh, I just, so I just searched him real quick just to see if I was forgetting something. And I guess he's an activist affiliated with Al Sharpton, Pentecostal. I'm... I'm drawing a blank. I don't know, unfortunately, who he's talking about there, so I can't really comment on it. Earnings, defiled women, violated religious freedom, and denied individual liberty. So when you don't get the response you expect from talking about Marxism, it's probably because we already know that racism has done the same thing. The idols that some Christians are protecting have already produced the outcomes they fear from Marxism. Some Christians are... I think he's trying to say that racism has produced what Marxism also produces. I don't even know. how. I don't even know how to... <laughs> it doesn't make any sense. I, he has to argue for it before I can comment on it. So worried about the Marxist barbarians at the gate that they've completely ignored the white nationalists who are already in the temple. Name them. Who are they? If we're ever going to address the race problem faithfully, we must not only confront the lies that offend us, but also the lies that serve us. Because no lie can serve the church. Jesus, after all, was the truth. God bless you. Brought to you from the Gospel Coalition. And uh, that's not surprising. So um, it, it sounded, it's, it's the, what we get all the time. It sounded like what Russell Moore would say. It sounds like what Karen Swallow Pryor would, might say, a speech she might give. It sounds like a speech J.D. Greer would give. It sounds, you just fill in the blank. Speech Tim Keller would give. Uh, it, it's kind of the same stuff, which is why I think I'm, I'm used to answering it and why you're probably getting used to it. But it is good for us to review these things. Uh, to go over them because you know each person has a little bit of a different way they communicate it. Ultimately, it's a way, if you want to look at, at this tactically, start off 
by placing yourself at the center. Um, flatline the critical race theorists and the Christian nationalists, you know, is kind of like, yeah, they're, they're sort of the same. And you, so you think you're going to get this very balanced message that's deceptive in a way, not, not saying he, Justin Goni is intending to be deceptive, but that it, it ends up deceiving people because they get into this th- mindset of, okay, this is going to be balanced. And then the rest of it is mainly focused on bashing conservatives or the quote unquote Christian nationalists. And, um, at the end, uh, it's, it, it's basically a guilt trip and uh, a scolding. And then at the end, uh, you know, you're supposed to feel real bad about your country, about, uh, you know, your, your history, your heritage, uh, your complicity, uh, your ignorance, all these kinds of things. And what do you do about it? What, what's, what's to be done? I guess the only thing you can do is apologize to who? I guess to confess to God and then go to confess to people of color. I'm not sure exactly, but there's, it, there's not usually a lot of hope in these sermons. Uh, there's a lot of condemnation and that's what you're getting there. So, um, it's, it's, it's also the, it almost seems like there's a lot of projection. There's a lot of the things that he said that we would agree with. It's like, well, aren't you guilty of that? Um, the deception, the half truths, uh, the vilification, uh, of others. Um, that's what's going on. This is not a message of unity. If, if you can't tell that this is a message of division and that's what we get from the social justice side. Unfortunately, so often, uh, the reality is all those who are in Christ, who have their sins forgiven by him because of uh, his gracious um, work on our behalf as believers in him, all of us have a, uh, a brotherhood. We, we all are united in being equally sinners. Some have sinned more than others and do it in, in different ways, but we all deserve punishment and we're sinners on that level and we're all forgiven before Christ. And there's unity um, in that when we recognize the true gospel and we don't try to take other things and, and, and push them into the gospel, but we say that, no, the gospel, this is the good news that Jesus has forgiven us and we can be patient with one another and we can, um, we can strive to love one another and we have a common authority we can go back to. It's the word of God. It's the Bible. It tells us how to live. It's our GPS that uh, shows us when we're off course so we can get back on uh, so we can, um, uh, that we can rebuke those who need rebuking and uh, we can correct the unruly and encourage uh, the faint-hearted. Um, the, the, we have a standard, and, and, and what Justin Gaboni is doing right now and, and what you just heard is he's ripping that standard away. It's, it's, this isn't a biblical standard. He just is scolding um, based off—it's really just his own— it's it's like it's really just zone as his his opinion at that at this point. He's just giving his opinion, questioning motivations, uh, casting doubt on people who probably genuinely just love their country, that kind of thing. Um, it's 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 not helpful. It's not helpful at all. What I would say about the social justice side, I, I critique people like Justin Gaboni all the time. Is look, I don't know exactly where he's at because I haven't watched a lot of his stuff. I haven't studied a lot of his stuff. What I can tell is he's bitter. I can tell he's frustrated. I can tell he's misinformed about a number of things, especially in history and uh, connecting what happened in history to the present circumstances of today. Uh, he's, um, he's got an ax to grind. And what I would say to, to someone like him is like, please, um, you know, first, would you be willing to listen? I mean, you, you, you just got to get in the gate first, get your, your toe in the door because Sometimes with, with people like that, they're, they're not even willing to. But if, if they're willing to, then I would want to 
maybe spend some time, like sit down, maybe have, have some coffee or a meal or something and start talking about these issues. But start in this way, start with the things that start with the gospel itself. And if you never get off the gospel, that's fine. But I would start with, okay, we know that people are sinners. We agreed, agreed. Okay. Right. People are sinners. People do bad things. What's the remedy for that? Is it, is it, is like, where does social justice fit into that? And where does the gospel fit into that? And what's the difference between the two? And I think that would open up maybe a positive discussion if it's possible to have one. Um, some people have said before, John, you know, I don't, I've, I've seen this comment a few times, you know, why don't you do debates with uh, people who disagree with you? And, and, and those who have watched this channel well, you'll actually know that if you type in on debate on the YouTube uh, bar, you're going to come up with an abortion debate and a, an abate debate on atheism from years ago that I did, moderated public debates where there was time allotted. And the, the fact is, um, with some people, and, and, and my qualifications are pretty low, I think, but hardly any social justice warriors that I know would meet them. But if they're willing to reason and they're respectful, these, in other words, they're not going to the debate calling me a racist or a sexist or something. They're, they're actually, you know, even if they think that, that's not going to be their primary argument is just personal attacks. If they actually want to reason together, I would be more than willing to have a debate with someone if it was timed, you know, a proper debate, actual time. So pe- no one can steamroll anyone. No one, we, we have topics that we've agreed to beforehand. I would be willing to have that. But the fact is, it's very hard to do it. It's extremely hard with people that are so given over to this ideology. Uh, they're, they're not willing to because you are a villain. You're a bad guy. You're a racist. You're, you're, I mean, look, I'm a Pharisee, apparently, according to Justin Gaboni. Uh, I am a liar, according to him. It, it's not because I don't want anything to do with them. It's because they don't want anything to do with me. And that's how really this whole podcast even started. It was that realization that, oh, my goodness, I'm not welcome. My views are not welcome. And I think that's how many of you feel. And when people start saying that you're the one that has the problem, you're like, wait a minute, hold on. Uh, I'm not saying for every situation it's like that, but I think primarily that's what the the aggressors are those, the emboldened ones to kick people like me out are those on the social justice side. And um, so this isn't a comment about Justin Gaboni. I don't know where he's at, but that's that's what I would want to do, I think. What is his understanding of the gospel? Do, do Do you view people like me as a brother in Christ? If, if not, why not? What is it that's preventing that from happening? Um, how fundamental is social justice to your gospel? And uh, I think we would, we would find a lot there. So I um, hope that was helpful. Maybe just a little bit of direction, a little bit of thoughts on how, how to approach a little talk like this. Maybe a longer one that you'll hear somewhere. I'm sure you've already heard some. Uh, anyway, more coming later in the week. God bless. Bye now. Sick of being upsold at gyms? My guy, you're currently a base member. For $90 more, I can upgrade you to our Shred membership. For $130 more, you'll be a swole member. And for just $300 more, you'll reach Sweat Platinum. At Planet Fitness, you'll get energy without the upsell. Never pushy, always free fitness training and equipment for every workout. It's fitness that fits your budget. Join Planet Fitness for just $1 down and $10 a month. Cancel anytime. Deal ends Friday, May 10th. See Home Club for details.